Hi, this is Rob Carmichael with Mainly Matters, and today my guest is Dr. Eric Hosapple from uh, the Loveland Commercial Real Estate Group. Welcome, Eric. Hi, Rob. Good morning. Good afternoon. Did, did Good I, evening, did, I mean. Did I get that right? Uh, Loveland Commercial Real Estate Group? Is that? It's actually called LC Real Estate Group. LC. It used to be Loveland Commercial. Evolved a little bit and changed the name to LC Real Estate Group about six well, or seven years ago. Well, that's easier to that's easier to say. Yeah, I, I can't mess that up. I don't yeah. think again. So uh, no, it's great to have you here. I, I, for those that don't know, Eric from his time in Maine, Maine he is a Maine guy. Grew up in Dexter, and we'll talk a lot about his his education, his background, how he ended up in Colorado where he is. And we've got an interesting, Eric is just a fascinating guy. I've known, known him for what, what Eric, at least 35, 40 years well, or more well, since we were since high school. Yeah. Some played football against each other in high school a long we, time ago. We did. We did. And, and Eric is, is one of my golf buddies. He and a group of guys started a golf trip uh, with, started with eight guys, expanded to 12 and, we had done that for years and years and years, and, and Eric's been busy over the last few years, so we haven't been able to get together, but uh, we always had a great time. And some of the things we talked about in our golf trip, uh, we're going to talk about today, and one of those is is his involvement with yoga and meditation and mindfulness and all of that sort of thing. He tried to help my golf game years ago using some of the things he had studied I'm not sure it really helped, but I learned Zen that. golf. It, it was. It was the uh, Zen golf, and you taught me how to throw a club to relieve or reduce some of my stress. And I, I still throw clubs, but it doesn't. It doesn't work. I think I need to go to the week long course or something. But but he's been involved with that in in real estate. And let's just get started because there's a lot to unpack with this talented guy. And did do you do we call you Doctor Eric? I, I know there was some controversy. I know you have a PhD. Uh, how do you prefer to, to be uh, addressed? Just call me Eric. Just, just call me Eric. Just call him Eric. Well, I'm I'm, yeah. I'm proud to call you uh, to, to doctor at any time, but we'll refer to you as okay. as Eric today. And I just want to give you a little background. Eric has been in commercial real estate on a national basis for over 35 years, has developed commercial projects with tenants such as Kroger, Walgreens, Target, and has developed hundreds of residential and mixed-use projects. He taught real estate at Colorado State University for 20 years and helped found the Everett Real Estate Center and served as the executive director of real estate. He's also studied yoga, meditation for over 25 years and runs a leadership program that we're going to talk a lot about is, is part of this this podcast, Living in the Gap, uh, program that trains professionals to make the most of their lives, businesses, and communities. So again, he's he's had a really fabulous uh, life today, career, and what I think we're all going to learn today, and from what I've been able to share with Eric and learn from Eric, is is how yoga and meditation has enhanced his his life from a business perspective and and from a family and personal perspective and how that can also help uh, those of us who uh, are in business or anybody that wants to develop uh, and grow as an individual. Now, I, d I do want to start at the beginning, Eric, just to get a little background with our folks. This My podcasts have run the gamut uh, of talking about leadership, talking about public speaking, talking about entrepreneurship. And, and I think it's important because of your background and how this all ties together, the business 
and yoga meditation. To start with, how how did you get out to Colorado? You you were born in Maine. I, I know your dad, uh, your mom and dad brought you up in Dexter. Your dad was a uh, an educator, a superintendent of schools, a coach. And matter of fact, wasn't he one of the founders of for those of, in the local area the Little Ten Conference? I think he was. I yeah, think, I think he was one of the yeah. instrumental yeah, folks. Yeah, yeah, it was a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. He, so Eric, Eric is a local guy, but how, tell us about your journey to Colorado. Well, uh, I've made I've moved to Colorado three times. First one was I was in the University of Maine, and uh, I don't know how I got in. My dad must have called somebody because I wasn't <laughs> my grades. Um, and, uh, I was a sophomore there and I got a drunk driving ticket and, uh, was looking, geez, I got to do something different with my life. This isn't working. And I figured I'd come to Colorado and get away from my bad friends because mm-hmm. once my mother always told me it was them anyway. So that was my, my first trip out to Colorado it was in 1978 and, uh, I ended up working a bit to get residency and, you know, took classes at Colorado State University. I chose Colorado because I love the snow ski mm-hmm. and the mountains. And I love the, you know, I grew up in Maine, so it was a pretty rural place at the time. It's grown a lot since then. But um, so I was out here for a few years doing that and took night classes. And I decided to go back to Orono and finish. So I, I went back and 81 and finished at Orono in 82. And then I came back to Colorado. I moved to Colorado again and got my MBA. The market, the economy was really bad in the early 80s. Um, weren't any jobs. And so I came back to Colorado and uh, decided I wanted to, to, to be here. So I came back to Colorado and got an MBA and then went out to work for, oh, I don't know. I worked, uh, I was, I worked for a local group here and then they were uh, invested with some Australians and like within a year I was running all this stuff for Australian group that had come into the, uh, the country. And this was, this was commercial real estate. Yeah. Primarily it was. Yeah. All commercial real estate and, uh, was running stuff, you know, even Western Canada and all throughout Texas and Georgia. And, you know, I did that for four or five years and then, uh, they actually moved me to Boston which was close to home. They're having a real trouble. There was a big stock market crash. I think it was 87. Right. Right. And it affected things. And the, all the Japanese and Australians that were big, big investors in the eighties left town, left the country in the, the late eighties. It was about 89 for it all really hit real estate. And, uh, so I was, I was, uh, in Boston and I made the decision at that time to start my own business. So I consulted with them for a little bit and then I moved to Portland, met my wife in Boston, Tracy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so we, I, uh, that was like 89, 90. I was in Portland running that. And, uh, well, that was married. right. As you said, that was right after the, I think it was a savings and loan. Uh, meltdown. Yeah. It was a big debacle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I met my wife. Anyway, we got married in 91 and I, uh, I talked her into moving back to Colorado in 93 when we heard our first child was born. And, uh, that's when I decided to go to Colorado state university and get my doctorate <clears throat> at that time. I'd done uh, some, some things on my own, made a little bit of money and I'd always wanted to go on and study economics more. I loved economics. So I went back in and got a PhD in economics and I wanted to teach. 
I was really looking for something, but I was successful in business, but I was looking to get a little more meaning, give back a little more. And so I went in, got a PhD and wanted to teach. And that's what, that's one of the things I've always found fascinating. We lost uh, touch, I think a little bit in, in the eighties, uh, you were doing your thing. And, and i found out later on that you had uh, attained your PhD, you were into teaching. And as I look at in preparing for this podcast and looking at all the things you've done from real estate, that the development of a business and that piece of it, but equally the effort and the time it took you to get a PhD and then apply that in a, in a teaching. And you taught for how many years at Colorado State? Are you still teaching? 20. 20, I'm not anymore. Mm-hmm. I haven't taught in about four years. But yeah, off and on, 20 years. Well, well, we'll talk a little bit more about that. But in terms of the, the, the business that you've been in, so you built your own business. Can you talk a yep. little bit about uh, about that? Well, I got out in 96 and got my doctorate. And I looked at that a little bit. And I was evaluating a career in you know academia. And I was just too entrepreneurial. I just wasn't, you know, I didn't fit well into that mold. So I wanted to teach and do that. So I decided to just teach adjunct, you know, part-time and go to work. So I just went here and I found us, uh, another guy named Don Morastica here who was doing a lot of stuff and needed some help. And I just started working with him, you know, as a real estate broker with a doctorate degree. It was kind of crazy. And I just... Uh, he had five or six things started and, you know, needed somebody with finance. I was really good at finance. So we just got started. It was mostly at that time doing residential subdivisions where we just plat and zone and plat and, and then get ground ready and, and sell the builders mm-hmm. that were building houses here. So that was the big thing. And then that was what he did. And I helped him with that. And then my expertise was more commercial. So I went to work on, uh, you know, finding shopping center sites. And we found a did a Kroger King Super Center here that was kind of a big deal, and some other small things here that really uh, rocketed us to success. It was really uh, hit hit this market at the right time. Colorado was really growing at that time, and was a lot less expensive than than it is now. Was that the, the so, late nineties? Yeah, that center opened in ninety nine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. In the commercial real or real estate business in general, it's and it certainly there are differences. Uh, people that aren't familiar with it, the real estate commercial business is certainly much different than the residential business. But can you talk a little bit? You, you've been through, as we talked about, the, the savings and loan. There've been other recessions up and down over the last uh, you know thirty five years. Talk a little bit about that. How real? How how that business has evolved or changed, or has it changed over those those many years? Oh, it's changed a lot. I mean, one thing that hasn't changed is cyclical. You know, the real estate market goes up and down, and it lags the business cycle. You know, it lags the stock market. It's it's a mirror of the business community, but it, it takes a lot longer for real estate. It takes us a while to build buildings, you know, a couple of years to get something zoned and built. You can't stop it in the middle of it. So, you know, we're always behind the realist. We're always behind the business guys a little bit. So, you know, it's that's your crystal ball is what's going on in the business community. But we can't stop fast. Mm-hmm. And what's really changed, I think, is the pace of change. Like when I first moved to Colorado, Hewitt Packard was a big company out here and it was all lifetime employment. Gosh, in the 90s, that changed. You know, just all of a sudden, even Hewitt Packard was doing layoffs and they were, change, you know, going up and down and doing things. So things just change so much faster than they used to. 
And uh, who would have, who would have thought we'd have malls all across the country that were going empty? Oh, it's it's amazing you know, the, to see that. I don't know if you made it to Bangor at all when you were up visiting this summer. I did. The mall did. out there is just it's it's amazing Impressive. to see the difference. We have Very one impressive. Here. Yeah, we have one here similar. Just went through a receivership and somebody bought it at an auction. It's going to tear half it down. And, and part of that business, obviously, is dealing with uh, the governmental bureaucracies that you deal with on a local, state, federal level. Is that been a challenge? Is it is it frustrating, or do you get used to it after a while? Well, we have a little different perspective on it because if they weren't difficult to deal with, there'd be too much supply. Good. Point. So, yeah. so the fact that it's kind of difficult is once you do get something approved, if you're good at it it's more valuable, mm-hmm. and, you know, the place is also, so yes, it's frustrating sometimes and it's difficult, but it's not as far as for the investment side goes, it's not that bad because it, it also creates more value. Like here, here where I live in Boulder is one of the hardest places and it's real estate is typically 25% more valuable than anywhere else, more expensive. So that's not good if you're buying a house or renting from somebody, but if you're an investor, in a business, it's not all bad, it's you know, because it, yeah, it's actually making you money. And so that, that's, that, that helps me, that helps me deal with it. I was going <laughs> to say that I'm making money. And I'm sure that separates, <laughs> that separates the pros from, from the people that. To, yeah. Like, I, I don't know. In. I don't know <laughs> if you ever met my partner, he's retired now. He's Don Morosico. What I was doing. He used to say a city council meeting, just saying, I want you to make it as hard as you can. I want to be the only one that can get anything approved in this town. <laughs> Bring it on. He'd say anyway. That's great. That's great. So, so that part of it, uh, you, you, you've, you're still in involved with that. Do you still have uh, a lot of properties, a lot of, uh, residential I, you know yeah we've been uh when the downturn of uh 06 07 came we were just mostly doing horizontal lot developments and things and then we got a bunch back builders all went away you know they all stopped nationals locals all of them and uh so we ended up getting i don't know 100 residential lots back and no one would answer the phone so in 08 09 as a developer, I create things. We started a building company and we started building. So we spent 10 years, actually dozen years building houses, which we just ended this year because hmm. the, uh, the cost just kept going up and up and up. And, you know, uh, the prices didn't go up equ- equivalently. So we just weren't able to compete with a lot of the nationals that are building out of cash. We mm-hmm. borrow money from banks and putting, you know, private capital in and what is a lot more expensive. And so, anyway, we just got out of that this year, building houses. I've done both, but still, still the commercial pieces. Of yeah. Part. So I'm focus. I'm focusing more on uh, because I'm 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 not uh, I'm not retired, but I'm getting older all the time. I'm focusing more on investments than I am developments. A game of you know late city council nights and a lot of risk. Sure. So at my age, I'm 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 focusing more on investments, and and we we buy properties and reposition them, but not as much risk as you know ground up buying a piece of land and getting it zoned and you know borrowing all the money from the bank, and so I take less risks than I used to. Well, it's probably uh, at it, it, this this part of our lives that's a, that's a good strategy, <laughs> I yeah. think. Uh, you know, for all of us, and and you've certainly earned earned a little bit of time to. Uh, do something different or, or 
scale back, whatever you're going to do. Now, in terms of your teaching, the teaching part of you uh, been active as you had been active as a professor. You got your PhD as we talked about. Taught a real estate course. Tell tell me about the or tell us about the Everett Real Estate Center. Did I understand correctly? You endowed a chair there at one point. Yeah, so I was I was just teaching a class adjunct, and then they had gotten a grant uh, from the Mortgage Bankers Association to start a real estate center. And as soon as they got the grant, almost their real estate professor kind of got in a tiff with the dean and left. So they asked me, would you step in this real estate center uh, and help? Because they had an obligation to run it. You know, they had funding for a few years. And I just got in and said, this is a goal. I mean, goal mine for the university and for the community. So I couldn't help myself but try to build it. Uh, so we started doing events. And, you know, I, I went to a local guy, Bob Everett, and, and uh, the dean and I went to Bob Everett and got him to put some money up to endow the Everett Real Estate Center. And that allowed us to have a physical presence on campus and hire staff and do those kind of things. And then we needed a chair to run it. So my partner and I endowed a chair uh, to run that real estate center. Now I will say today they ended up in the end, the university made a change and that money went over into scholarships. So now we have a couple million dollars in a, in an LC real estate group scholarship. We fund somewhere, I don't know, a dozen students, uh, tuition, those kind of stuff through real estate. Oh, that's great. And and, and all the things you had done in that field, uh, I'm guessing that that is as rewarding in many ways as, you know, you know, some of the other it, aspects of your career. It, it is. And as we, as we transfer, uh, transition over a little bit, talk to some more about the other stuff, Rob, I'll tell you, it's a, it's an indication of the more I've given anywhere, the more I've gotten back. Like I went to the university to teach. I didn't really know why I was doing it, but I went there to teach and help students and I placed them and, you know, how I knew people in the community. So I helped them find jobs and whatnot. So I ended up knowing people in about every real estate firm in the, in the state. And then we hired people, you know, at our company. And now today I've got seven partners. Five of them, I think, came to the CSU real estate program that I met uh, that just run the place. That's outstanding. So, you know, it's unbelievable. So I went in with, you know, not not with that even in mind, not even thinking that. It just kind of happened. But, you know, in the end, I just met so many great young people that are doing so many good things. Uh, and, you know, have made me a lot of money, too, candidly. Well, that's, you know, that's a great segue. So let's let's start talking about, because you've, I listened to uh, your videos and read a lot of the materials. God, God bless you, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> Not while I was trying to fall asleep, believe me. I, it was uh, fascinating stuff, because I, I've always enjoyed uh, the, the topic of meditation and yoga. I haven't practiced it to certainly anywhere near the way you have. Uh, I've done some meditation, and I, but I haven't been able to create that habit that you talk, and I know you're going to talk about. But you weave that into uh, your life in, in a way that I think is very fascinating. And, and let's talk about, first of all, let's talk about yoga and how you started. You've been doing yoga and meditation for 25 years, I believe. I started yoga in 1993, the same time I went back and started school for my doctor. The same, I was just making some changes with my life, literally looking for more help, 
you know, and I'd start by saying, you know, when I was uh, 30, I, I was 210 pounds and I smoked, you know, I was having blackouts and, uh, and I, you know, it made a radical change to that. And yoga was part of that out, outpouring was, you know, to start to do something different to take care of myself. Uh, so I'd live a little longer. I can't imagine was, 210 pounds, Eric. You, you look I the stepped same. on the scale this morning. I weigh 169. You know, I was so going to say. That's 40 pounds, you know? Crazy. Uh, but it's just traveling around, working, you know, and uh, and not taking care of myself. So it was part of that. I think I started running again and started, you know, yoga. And I didn't even know how I think I have a brother that had some interest in it. And I think I just saw it. So that looks interesting. I just bought a tape. There weren't any yoga studios at that time that I know of here. I just started doing a DVD of it. And it just ended up being, I remember her saying, you know, you're better to do this a few minutes every day than to do it once a week for two hours. So I just, you know, started doing a few minutes every day. It, it In the morning you've done, and I uh, forgive me, I for, forgot what you call it, but you have this long streak of doing something every so, morning it's a miracle morning i got this morning or tomorrow morning is 2075 days i haven't missed 2075 days. <laughs> something like that crazy that's but it didn't start like that it started you know small mm -hmm. you know and just doing it and, and it just built up to that yeah and one of the things i i should have mentioned up front uh Eric has a wonderful family, wife Tracy, daughter Katie, sons Ryan and Colton. And Ryan is, I believe you, you said he's working or finishing up his PhD as yeah. well. And he's, he's, just, and he's just involved. He passed his orals this summer and writing his, his dissertation at Pacifica. Yeah. So when you, yeah, and, my, and, and talk about the, the family piece of this, and then we can kind of go into, into living in the gap and, and work. Sure. Um, I think you relate just relating to what was in my last newsletter. Yes. Was that the piece? Yeah. Yes. It just was amazing to me uh, this summer to see, you know, last year I didn't get to come to Maine for the first time in my life. I did. wasn't there at the lake for a period, you know, at least a week or something in the summertime because it's just kind of, I was raised there and that's just, it's just in my DNA, you know? And, uh, so this year went back, but I was, you know, it was great to be back, but I was just like taken by my kids are now 22, 26 and 28. And they're all finding, I got to get internet, dad, what is this? You know, I got to, I got to teach this zoom session. I got this classes I'm going to take in mid July. I got to Colton is a gamer. So I got to have this kind of bandwidth. I got to be able to download this. So they're all finding ways to run their business, you know, there in Maine in the summertime. My daughter Katie teaches yoga. She did that on Zoom, and my son Ryan did his coursework, passed his orals on, on Zoom, and did his coaching. Uh, he's a he's a coach, coaches people. And then Colton ran his gaming, uh, runs a game called Roblox. Uh, and all we're just doing it there. I just was just struck by you know the effort that my wife and I made for 28 years of taking everybody back there with you know a dog and a cat, and ten bags, and we went back every summer. It just you know, really uh, held the family together and they all want to come. It's just amazing. It's just great. And, and you've applied the, the principles that you talk about them, in yeah. terms of, uh, uh, the, the you know, the uh, leading, uh, living in the gap and, and all of those sorts of things. How does that apply from a family sense? 
Well, I'll tell you my first, you know, the first time I ran the Living in the Gap, my first applicant was Colton. He was on semester abroad in Italy. Italy is going to be a senior. He said, Dad, I need to change my life. What should I do? <laughs> so I got him started on a morning routine. And, you know, when my program came out, he called me right away and said, Dad, I don't, I don't just want to do this program. I need to do this. So he was my first uh, applicant. It was amazing. And then da- uh, Katie teaches yoga uh here we we do yoga together or travel that and she runs her own gig and uh so it's been a family affair and one of the things i read in your newsletter you you had it in bold you said from a family perspective we identified our purpose in life set a vision larger than ourselves and made a commitment and created habits that support our vision and commitment and i think that's just uh and you you were pretty open about i think you used a quote from Somebody, I don't have it right in front of me. Ram Das. Yes. Ram Das. Could you could you uh, could you mention that? <laughs> well, quote? he says, he, he says uh, if you think you're enlightened, go spend a week with your family. Because <laughs> there's nobody that can trigger us like our family. You know, that's right. And it's not like we go there and it's all kumbaya. I mean, they right. argue and there's a fights and turf and you know all the stuff. But we work through it, and uh, I would say that we just demonstrated how important family is. You know, my uh, I've got family that comes from Canada and a brother from New Mexico. And I think we had our 42nd family reunion and the cousins are all around there. And, and you know, I think the kids have just seen that. Mm-hmm. They've you seen know? it in practice. They've seen it in practice. How we we really take care of the family uh, and, and cherish it. And we and it's, you know, where our home is that we that's home. And that's uh, the the lake you're talking about. I can't. Re- I didn't. Don't. Wasakeg. Yeah, Wasakeg. I didn't remember if you mentioned it earlier. But beautiful spring-fed lake in Dexter. Yeah, it is. Just a gorgeous, gorgeous spot. And that's part. You're in, in a piece of it that uh, your dad had growing up, right? Or he well, bought- I ran a camp. Yeah, that was a boys' camp. He started uh, back in the 1950s, and it was a girls' camp. And I worked there during high school as a campground and cottage business. And then later, he subdivided. We moved away. He subdivided it, and I ended up in the lot. And we built a camp there when we got married. And we went and gone back to it every year. And you still have so the, the water ski slalom course out there. Yeah, it was out there. Are, yeah. you, are you still skiing? I am. I went at lunch today, actually. Oh, God, you're, yeah. you're doing much better than I am, Eric. I'd pull, no, I don't I'd pull know everything. About that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't dare stop. <laughs> That's probably, you know? probably a good idea. Now, is, when you, so you took uh, the principles and, and the practices from your experience with yoga, from meditation. You decided to huh? develop the Living in the Gap uh, leadership. Can you talk about how, how, how did you come up with that? What prompted you to or motivated you to start that program? Uh, you know, just looking for ways to get back. And we, I had started, uh, opened a yoga studio here and that really was frustrating. Uh, cause I love yoga, but it was, uh, I'm from, I'm a business guy and yoga is more of a right brain endeavor mm-hmm. and i'm very right-brained and left you know i got uh, both things going but <laughs> so i didn't enjoy the yoga studio i also found that i i because of my background and my interests and who i am that i have a more of a uh, an impact and more to say with business people than i do with 
uh, yogis per se, but I, I love yogis and I love yoga. So I was really looking for a way, you know, just to give back and to plug in. I really, that experience gave me two things open a studio. One, I dove into my yoga like five times deeper. I went and got, you know, certified to teach, and, you know, went to Kripalu and Western Mass and traveled and really dove in deep to it. And that gave me a whole nother level of uh, what I got out of it. And it, it also, uh, you know, the studio thing, I come on and say, well, this is not, you know, teaching weekly yoga classes is not it. So what is it? And I find that often, you know, you have a goal and you, you got to keep open because it, it may not be exactly what happens for you. So uh, I was at another, uh, I went to, I like workshops. I was at a workshop with, you know, probably 60, 70 people at it and it was a pretty intense thing over, over a weekend. And I, and I brought six of my partners with me. Uh, it was out in San Francisco. Uh, it was called Atlas Training. It was uh, really amazing, great training, uh, really intense. And I had uh, four or five, six people come up to me and say, you know, wow, I wish I had someone like you in my life. You're a great mentor. And I had, and I had to look, and, and I had brought six people with me and look at that and say, Jesus, you got to own this thing. Mm-hmm. You've been mentoring young people through CSU and your business and all this for 20 years, and maybe that's it. So I designed a program, uh, which I had run a form of it in the yoga studio before with some of the stuff, but I just said, hey, I could do so much more if I did this on my own and tailored it to make people successful in business and life. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think that, I don't see them as separate. Um, so I started it, uh, launched it, you know, what was it uh, with COVID now, my, everything's running together, but uh, two or three years ago. And it just, so everybody's aware of what this is, that living in the gap is a nine month program designed to support and guide heart centered professionals to reach new heights. And could you describe how that program Runs what what the format is here? Yeah, yeah. The the first bit of it is is just to get some training in meditation, and then what the beautiful thing about meditation is is it has you look within and yoga too. Versus it looking out, you look inside yourself for the answers. You look in, you know, you keep going in, and and I have found that you know a major issue that we have with our culture is that people haven't spent the time uh, looking within. We grow up in where everything is externally focused on producing and consuming things, particularly in the United States. And there's nothing wrong with any of that, but I think especially teaching for 20 years at CSU, I'd get these seniors come in and have no idea why they're there. You know, and say, well, you know what? The next thing is, is uh, job, wife, house, mortgage. I said, you wake up in about 30 years. (laughs) So spend a little time, you know, getting to know yourself and what you want to do. I just found a lot of people in that were there, but in business more because, you know, it was the only thing that made sense to pay for an education versus that what it was their calling. So uh, we use it first to start some yoga and meditation and just start looking at yourself and trying to make a separation between the thoughts that we have and to come from a place that's deeper than thought. We're trying to come from a soul-driven life. 
not not just thoughts or something that our parents put in or our schools put in or culture put in. But what are we, you know, at this stage in life, can we dive in and come up with a purpose for life? And what I found is if somebody can come with the purpose, that motivation ends, right? Motivation is no longer a problem. When you find somebody that's having a problem with motivation, they probably haven't found their purpose or they found their purpose and they don't feel like they can make a difference. But if you can give, if you, somebody can find their purpose and everybody has an inside job, you have to find it for yourself and a way to make a difference, then I find people that motivation is no longer a problem and they become very successful. And when I, but, I, I was listening to a portion of, of, uh, I think a piece of that on the video, and it just hit me right, right smack in the face that y- y- the point about you go to many of us m- go to college or you go to work, you save, you work hard, you save for this this retirement down the road, get your put your kids through college or do all those those sort of external things that we're talking about that are very important. Nothing wrong with, and in many yeah. many cases at that the end of the road as you reach. You know, our age at this point, I think people look back and say, okay, what has it been about? What has it really been about? And, you know, maybe if you can address that earlier, you won't find yourself at 65 saying, what has it been about? You know, or just wondering. Our culture is a do have be culture. If you do certain things, go to college, work hard, you know, you get to have you know, things, houses, cars, vacations. And if you do all that, then you get to be something happy, successful, generous. And we just try to turn that on the head and say, no, you know, if you weren't, if you weren't happy and generous when you were making a hundred grand or a million, you're not going to be happy when you're making a million or 10 million. You need to get on and figure out, you know, that it isn't the money that's going to make you happy. So you get at that, what would what would that money give you? Well, it give me happiness, security, and people get ill. We're still run from a, de- you know, like my dad came through the depression. We're still run like depression era. People aren't, you know, some homeless have, are, are starving. But most of us, particularly with a college education, are not starving to death. Mm-hmm. And you have more choices than you think that you have. So you, you, know, you, get, you start out. Flat, so you get that you, flat is important. I'm sorry. You you start out with at the beginning you you start out with some in person sessions. We have four day we have four days of getting trying to get at your core. We run a bunch of exercises. We start with you know showing how to meditate, doing some yoga, and then we have a lot of exercise that you can't really get into on this podcast. But different exercises just to show you what consciousness is, what experience is, what it's like to be in your body, and separate thought from the rest of your consciousness. And from there, you can start to get at who you are. Because it's not a thought about something. It's more of a felt sense. And it's a choice. Mm-hmm. You choose. You know, you have some choices. Who am I? You know, what am I about? And then you take that to, uh, there There are some Zoom sessions. I'm, I'm looking at the... Uh... Yeah, and we go through a number of different, we now go through a number of different books and exercises. And, and what we do is first you get that. And when you get, so you're pretty comfortable with, this is who I am and the, this. Then we set out a vision. We use vision boards and that kind of stuff to come up with a vision for your life. You get really flat with where you are in life, who you, you know, where you are, 
okay, I'm 210 pounds. You know, where do I want to go? I want to be 170, you know, where, you know, or I'm, I'm, I'm broke, I'm bankrupt, whatever it is. Here's where I am. Cause people don't want to admit that either. Here's where I am really. And this is where I want to, this is my vision for my family, my life, my relationships, my health, all those things. And then we try to plan, make a plan for it. Okay. How do we, how do we get there now that we have that vision? One of the things we do like is come up with, okay, that's that ideal life. What does it cost to fund that life? What does it take? You know, and you actually have to go through and come up with what that would cost. And then when you do that, then you say, well, that's the money you need to make. Just to go out and just say, I want to make money without knowing why or what for can be an endless chase. You know, and I, I know people, billionaires that aren't happy, that still, you know, squeeze every nickel and aren't happy. So I want the money to work for me. I don't want to work for the money. Mm -hmm. So I want to come up with, okay, here's my lifestyle. I want to go to Maine every summer. You know, I like to ski. I want to ski in steamboat. You know, I like to take some trips. What What is that going to take? And well, here's, I want to make, I want to pay for my college at my kid's education. What does that take? So I come up with that and I say, okay, this is, you know, I need to make a million bucks. So whatever it is, then, okay, look at my career. And I have, you know, here's my purpose in life. Is this, can I, can I meld my purpose with my career? If not, maybe I need to shift careers. And can I, in that career, make that amount of money that I need to make? Maybe I need to shift if I can't, but to look at it. Most, most people find, and I'm in real estate, so it's a little, most of the people I see are in real estate, you know, that it's, it's possible to really have it all. You can have the time and peace of mind and make some money and, and do the other things that you want to do. And, and you spend uh, a lot of time describing uh, one is the routine. You have to make it a yeah. habit. You have to create habits and routine. Everything we do is a habit. You know, even if you're not doing this, you're doing something else with a habit. Is that they say 95% of what we do is non-conscious. It's just one habit. We just, we, we say we want to lose weight, but we find ourselves in the refrigerator. We want to get on the honor roll, but we're at a party on Wednesday night, you know? We're whatever. We say these things, but they're not really deep. So we need to tap into the, that's why we take some time with the vision and the meditation. We need to tap into the unconscious to help that come up with the vision because it's a big piece of who we are. Then we go about training the unconscious so it supports who we want to be. Because if it's not supporting who we want to be, it's sabotaging it. Can I, by my working on habits, like the low-hanging fruit is gratitude. That's the easiest one. By doing, you know, three gratitudes in the morning, I start training my brain to be different immediately. And it just changes uh, immediately. Just feel my, feel myself change when I, when I go through and be grateful. And I try to set up habits that are going to reinforce who I say I want to be, who I say I am, and my vision. So that, and that's like, you know, 2,075 days is a pretty good habit. Sure is. It would be harder, it would be harder for me not to do that now than to do it. Like if you just told me today nothing, that would bother me more tomorrow than just doing it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. So, but if I'm not doing that, I'm doing something else, you know? I'm having a, you know, a cigarette and a beer or whatever, you know, I'm, I'm doing something with that time. And so it's all habits. Do I, so I need to form the habits. We're habitual animals. I need to form the habits to support my vision. And that's why the program's so long. You look at it and say, Oh my God, why? Well, I have found this 21 or 30 days to establish a habit that not 
not enough or if it's a hard habit. It might be, you know, if it's a bad habit, I might be able to do it. I could probably, you know, get hooked on smoking in that amount of time. But I, I have found that for good habits, it takes longer. You know, it, it takes a real commitment. Well, and, and you also talk about accountability as part of the program. And I think that's, that's an, a, yeah. a critical piece as well, because if we're not accountable to somebody or something that, yeah. you know, looks us in the face and says, you know, what have you been doing? Um, then it's not going to work either. We do two things. You're, you're paired with other ones doing through it and you have weekly calls. And then also we post just where you are with your habits, how many days you did it. And it isn't like you have to do anything, but it's just awareness. It's like uh, when you're on a diet, I mean, the best thing you can do for a diet that I found is make sure you step on the scale every day and know what you're doing. But I find if I'm a little overweight, I avoid the scale. I walk around it. You know, I don't see it. If I'm losing weight, I'll probably step on it. Oh, aren't I great? But if I'm not, I don't <laughs> yeah, do it. Right. But best thing I could do is make sure that I step on that scale every day and look at it. Oh. Got it. Gain two pounds. Maybe that wasn't the right thing to eat, you know, or maybe I should go to the gym and skip breakfast, whatever it is. Well, I've, and I've always found that uh, it goes back to, you know, digging deep in that initial part of your program, finding out who you are, what you want to be, and being honest with yourself about that. One of the things I found out about uh, with, with people that are trying to lose weight or trying to exercise and lose weight is in many cases they don't really understand what they what they need to do to get there. They, they think they do, but they really haven't, haven't invested the time to learn, you know, that how many calories in a, and what they're eating in a day versus what they're burning when they're working out or when they're walking or, and, and there's not that correlation because I don't think. Yeah, being I, honest I, agree, with I agree. I agree with that. And I, and I think, and I would add again, I, I also think that most people haven't evaluated the power of the unconscious that it, you know, how, how they got there mm-hmm. was on, unco- was unconscious acts. They didn't consciously say, right. You know, I want to eat all this and be heavy or, you know, it happens unconsciously. And it, until you discover those unconscious, uh, forces and ways to deal with them, it's hard to make lasting change. I like this uh, in in this, the brochure that uh, you emailed me. That and it, we'll make sure everybody gets the website and all of that for this. But there's a there's a window sign that says, or, or the, the words on it say, "Wake up, kick ass, be kind, repeat." I love that. <laughs> <laughs> that that's great. There you go. There you go. <laughs> so tie this into in leadership. And obviously, well, let me let me just back up just a second. One of the things I want to read is what you'll learn in this program. What create a vision for your life, and a lot of this we've we've talked around, talked about. But create a vision for your life filled with purpose, joy, and fulfillment. Implement habits in your everyday life that support your goals and vision. Take consistent steps towards realizing dreams beyond what you thought was possible. Create daily habits that support your ideal lifestyle. Tap into the unconscious via meditation to reveal hidden blocks to your success. You just talked about that. Learn about your inner archetypes and how they work, how to work with them to stop sabotaging yourself and spend more time in your zone of genius. And finally, create a detailed personal vision and plan and learn how to intentionally create your future. So I think people can maybe get a sense of how that works for maybe an individual 
tie that into business and leaders. Well, let's start with leadership. Um, I think leaders, leader, uh, leadership is something you are, not something you do. That too much I read on leadership is checklists of things. And I, I find that if someone knows their purpose and they really care about something, they'll step into leadership when they would never dream of it before. And it isn't just a person to be a leader, but it's a person with passion about something that cares about it. So it also goes back to that purpose in life, finding that if you find your purpose in life, you might find yourself stepping into leadership when you never really thought of yourself as a leader. But when something needs to be done, you just step in because that's your passion. So finding that passion and then also there's a number of accountability measures like uh, the value of your word. If you want to be a powerful person, you ha- there has to be no doubt when I tell you something that you know I'll do it. Mm-hmm. If you want me, if you really want to be able to move things and move people, there can be no doubt when I say something it's going to happen, or you'll know if it doesn't happen, I'm going to come back to you and say, hey, Rob, it didn't happen because of this. It'll be next Tuesday. You know, it's... Uh, Really the value of you doing the right thing when nobody's looking is totally and and just realizing that when something you you work and you also be more careful about the words that come out of your mouth i mean a lot of people just are pleasers and that just say yeah i'll do it yeah i'll do it but if you want power it's got to and this goes back to the accountability too is if you say you do it do it is that you want to be a leader your group has to know when you say it, it's done. It's like Rob says, chair, chair falls out of his mouth. It just happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a big piece of it. So uh, there again, I think it's so uh, passion and being your word are two big pillars of, of, of uh, leadership. And I think you'll find people leading that you wouldn't think were leaders. Absolutely. Absolutely. Some of those people, the least, the people you least expect show up at the time when you really need them. So, uh, business, I just, I don't draw a huge distinction between business and my personal life. Now, maybe that's because I worked hard for, you know, my dad taught me the biggest thing he ever taught me was how to work, you know, so I always worked and I enjoy work. But also, I mean, I think that I work with, I love the people I work with. I don't like that's my business, you know, thing. I mean, I love them as people mm-hmm. and I care about them and I care about their success. Um, so I, I just don't, I think what I want, what I say, business has to fund my personal life. Person, person has to fund it and be supportive of the life that I want. It isn't like I go to work eight or 10 hours a day and then once left over, I get to go have a life. I'm tired. You know, I've given the best part of my day to a company or something else. I I just think that's, you know, not a good way to go. I got to find what I care about and spend the part of my day doing that. Now, I may have to, you know, we've all had jobs we didn't like for a period of time and whatnot, but I'm talking about being successful. You got to have something you love. Right. You know, if you're not passionate about it and you don't love it, then 
Then, you're not looking at the clock every minute and you're, you just, you like it. And, you know, I can be just as happy hanging out with the people at my work as I can on our golf trip. You know, I, I, they're great people and I, I don't look at it any different for me. So some people will, but I really, I think they're missing an opportunity uh, for success and happiness because it's, you know, nice people are everywhere. Oh, that's, that's, so, that's a great point. So I want to have it be that my, my business is consistent and that's my outer purpose. That's my doing, you know, I need that to be consistent with what my inner purpose is, my being who I am. So I don't know if that's enough. No, that's, that's, uh, that, that really ties a lot of that together because, uh, I think the question I posed probably was the wrong question. It, it's, it's what we're not really trying to separate business and personal life. We're trying to blend, uh, in a way, blend it together so that uh, you don't think of it, as you said, you're just working to, to fund this portion of your life. And then, then, so then I can retire and Christ, but you know, half the people have cancer before they get to retire right. you know, or something. Right. It's awful. It's a complete it's a waste. It's, when you it's can, a waste. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it doesn't have to be that way, but well, I think how it gets to be that way is we we blindly go into professions for money, you know, prestige, money, and those kind of things, rather than spending some time finding what I'm really passionate about. Do you think it's hard to do that if you're doing something you don't like? Oh, that's true. And do you think that it 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 starts in some cases? I think maybe you mentioned this earlier. In when people sort of go to college or go go to that initial piece of their education really just because they they're sort of expected or that's what they think they're supposed to do. That's our culture. That's our culture. Exactly. You know, the culture is, you know, we produce things and consume things. And the more you produce and consume, the more successful you are. And there's a place for that. Um, I mean, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with, you know, with a lot of it, but it's not a purpose in life to produce and consume mm-hmm. not a worthwhile purpose. Well, I, I think you've uh, certainly you've found it, Eric and, and all that you've done. And, and I've been around a lot of really, really great leaders. Ironically, two of them are from Dexter, Maine. Is that right? Doc, Dr. Holzapple and Dr. Reed. Uh, yeah. Great leadership development starts in Dexter, Maine. <laughs> Right at the lake. Right yeah. at the lake, Lake Wasakig. Uh yep. Well, let me just, let's just kind of, cl- I could talk for hours uh, sure. on this topic, but let's kind of close this up with, uh, first of all, how can people find out more about Living in the Gap? Let's, uh, is it a website? To- yeah, I'm in the process of all that. And with COVID, we were a little bit behind. So the best thing would be to give them my email, Rob. Okay. And then, because the the newsletter has most of the stuff, and that's how I provide it. There's some stuff there. We will probably by the end of the year have a website up and those kind of stuff and expansion a little bit. But right now, the best thing would be eric at lcrealestategroup.com. Okay. And I'll make sure that's when we uh, put the podcast up. We'll, we'll make sure that is is out there and i would i would forward them information that you know would give give them everything they needed on the programs and and get them signed up for a newsletter that i do quarterly on some of these topics 
We'll, we'll... I'm hoping to to grow it through that website, SEO, and all that stuff here in 2022. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's where we're headed. But we're not there yet. We're a little behind. Well, COVID COVID put everything behind. I, I think yeah. uh, it looks like a great program, and and uh, I think you'll you'll certainly do very well as this as this thing continues to mature and grow. I'm going to put you on the spot. The last question I'm going to ask you is if you could name two things, just two things that yoga and meditation have done for you, your family, what would they be? And your business, I should say your, your, your entire, uh, your entire life, but. You know, the, as the more successful you get, I think the bigger job you have of getting over yourself. You know, you start thinking you're somebody and that you've earned certain things and you deserve certain things. And I think that screws everything up. So the one thing, and I can't say I'm totally over myself, but it's something I work on daily is just, you know, being grateful and getting over myself. You know, I'm not that great. I'm just another guy from Dexter, you know, uh, and people deserve to be listened to and to spend some time with them. So that's the biggest thing I'd say is just to keep learning to get over myself that every day is a new day and I start, you know, scratch and that no one's, no one's too small or too poor or too anything to stop and talk to. Mm-hmm. And that's hard for me because I'm a hard driver. I'm a charger. I mean, I run at about 130 miles an hour, so it's not easy for me. But I, I, I committed to it. You know, I know uh, that. I know that from the old Eric <laughs> on our golf trips. <laughs> and the other thing is, the second thing would be just to be able to tune into my body uh, because I think we're way more intelligent. We think it's in our brains, but. There's intelligence. Their body is telling us things all the time that we're not listening to. So the other thing would be just to be able to tune into my body and listen to my, you know, get as many answers from my body and my gut as I do from my brain and use the two as a check and a balance. You know, yeah, I want to figure things out, you know, and that I like that. I like math and I like, you know, spreadsheets and all that. But also I have a gut, you know, I, I get a gut feeling and then I, I just think tuning into my body and, and uh, paying attention to it has been a huge gift of yoga and meditation. That's awesome. That's a great way to, to leave our listeners and, and hopefully uh, people will be inspired by by those words and, and by the entire podcast. And I certainly encourage everybody to, to check no one it out. From Maine, no one from Maine has flown out and done this program yet, but they're welcome. Well, I may be the first one. I have a special scholarship for a Mainer. We'll make sure that that's promoted as well. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, my friend, thank you. Uh, this has been fascinating. Uh, I really appreciate the time. And I, I know our listeners will find this interesting. And, and certainly, hope, hopefully, it'll spur people to try to learn more about your program, but about all the things that go into yoga, meditation, and how that can help uh, in personal and professional lives. So, uh Thank you very much again, and I look forward to talking to you soon. This is Rob Carmichael with Mainly Matters, and we'll be back with another episode soon. Thanks for stopping by. 